glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Proverbs 31, beginning verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman, for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field, and buyeth it with the strength of her, the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, and her, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. The very last thing said about her speaks of her hands, says give her of the fruit of her hands, that which she has produced with the work of her hands, give to her and let her own works praise her in the gates. Let what she has done with her hands be the testimony of who she is. Again, I can't help but when we read this to say this applies very much to the local church, applies to us as individuals, and especially as a church. Uh, as it, I believe this. One day, our gates are going to be the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And one day, our works in the gates will be an honor and a praise to Him and our works will be tried uh, so as by fire. And if it's gold and silver and precious stones, I believe we'll be very glad that we invested our hands in what we're supposed to do. May I say this? Every person in this room has the same amount of time given to us in a, in a day. We all have 24 hours in every day. We have the same amount of days in a week. We all have seven days in a week. And so each one of us is going to spend that somehow. We're going to spend it doing something. We've transitioned this series on the Christian in the body from uh, we've looked at our appetite, we've looked at our appearance and apparel, but what we're focusing on now is our actions, what we do. And so we're going to be looking at our hands and our feet and our eyes and our ears, what we actually use our body to accomplish in a no better place to start than with our hands. But every day we set our hand to something. You're going to get up in the morning and you're going to use your hands to uh, comb your hair and brush your teeth and I pray and hope you're going to use your hands to get a Bible and open that and use your hands to maybe look through and remind yourself of some prayer requests and pray, use your mouth to pray. But we use our hands constantly so much. I'm using mine right now. We use our hands constantly to do something. 
I wonder how many times we're just using our hands without any thought to how we're using them. As I find the virtuous woman, I don't find her doing things haphazardly or sporadically. Uh, She's using her hands very purposefully. And so our first point tonight about her hands, and I don't think the message should go long. It's very simple. We're going to see, though, is I find that her hands were guided, meaning uh, her hands were not just doing whatever she impulsively thought they should. She she was guided by some things. As you study through, uh, every time it mentions her hands, there's something being done with purpose, meaning she had a reason for what she was doing. It was thought about ahead of time. One of my chief concerns is, Sometimes in our lives, listen, we're not supposed to be careful Christians, but we're not supposed to be thoughtless Christians either. We are to use our minds, the minds that God has given us, to uh, to devise that which is good. The Bible talks about devising good. To devise means to think ahead in order to plan for something to be done. I find this recurring as a theme in our in preaching recently, and so I'll just assume it's something that we need to hear, but doing good does not happen on accident. Doing good and doing right requires purpose. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. Now let me say this, because he had purposed what he was not going to do, that turned around to a purpose and a plan for what he was going to do. He purposed, I will not use my body to sin. I'm not going to put that which is defiling in my body. I'm not going to disobey God in that manner. And his decision as to what he wouldn't do said that what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to appeal to Melzire and I'm going to have to have him appeal to the the person that's over top of me so that I can say, well, what about if we don't eat that, we'll eat this? He had a purpose. He devised doing good. You'll never do right on accident. It must be planned and prepared for. You'll never read your Bible every day of the year on accident. You have to decide, I'm going to do that. And so I find that characteristic as we look and focus in on the hands of the virtuous woman, it reveals a lot of things about her character. By the way, may I just say this, what you and I do with our hands are a direct revelation of our character. If I'm driving down the road using my hands to shake my fist at somebody, you're going to say, that man's got an anger problem. And you'd be right, because the impulse of anger at somebody makes me go, (laughs) right? You find people that gesture other drivers on the road. I just assume this. When they use that gesture, they're lost. That's a good prospect to win to Christ. Well, Christians may do that. No, Christians don't. People who are born again and saved, maybe they do, but they're not being Christian when they use their hand in that manner, right? That gesture with the hand is indicative of a sin in the heart. And when we haphazardly use our hands to pick up something and do something sinful, that's not why I can't help. That is an indication of character. And so the virtuous woman, this is a woman of great character. And her character was reflected in what she did with her hands. So the first thing, as I said, I see is that her hands are guided. The first thing I see about the guiding of her hands is this is a woman who's guided by principle. Look, if you would, at verse 13, uh, the first mention of her hands. It says, she seeketh wool and flax. There's that intention and purpose I'm talking about. She's got a job. She's got something in mind that she's going to do. And so she's seeking wool and flax. But the key word in this verse is willingly. Okay, She seeketh wool and flax and worketh what? 
willingly with her hands. This is not what happened. Some people think this. They would look at the virtuous woman. In our, in our culture today, someone would look at the virtuous woman and say, that is a woman married to a male chauvinist pig. Because no woman would stay at home, take care of her kids and husband, and apply herself so fervently to nothing more important than her own home, unless some dog was making her. Nobody made her. She didn't go and seek wool and flax because her husband said, Honey, did you get that wool and flax yet? That's not the way it happened. Honey, I want you to get your hands busy. This place around here needs tidied up. The kids' clothes are falling apart. Uh, We have nothing to eat in the pantry. When are you going to get to work? No, that's not the way that worked. The virtuous woman, nobody else has to tell her to work. And this is something in our home, and devotions you kids know working on the subject of diligence. The concept of diligence is not, I'll do a good job once I've been told to do it. The concept of diligence is when I know something is my responsibility, no one has to tell me to do it. May I say this, the Christian ought not ever, and I believe I'm preaching to people who already got a hold of this tonight, but should not have to be told repeatedly, you need to read your Bible. It's the responsibility of every born-again person to seek the mind of God and the Word of God, to meditate therein day and night, and the virtuous person doesn't have to be told to use their hands to work and open the Scriptures and read or, uh, or to do what is right and work with their hands to make a living. Any man that has to constantly be told, you need to get a job, you need to get a job, you need to get a job, that man's got a problem. It is the duty of every man. Man doesn't provide for his own. He's worse than an infidel and hath denied the faith. First Timothy chapter 5 says, you've lived a contradictory life to the faith if you won't work and provide for your family. It's the concept of work. So the idea is her hands are guided, but they're not guided by mere duty. They're not guided by demand. She's not seeking wool and flax because someone's cracking the whip on her. She worketh what? willingly with her hands. This woman understood the truth of Proverbs 14, 23. I think she's a picture of wisdom itself. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. Get a hold of that verse. In all labor there is profit. Someone say, man, I wasted an entire day on a project. No, not if it was work you didn't. I remember it clicking with me at some point in time. Work is not something to try to get out of. It is something to constantly try to get into. We ought to be looking for work. By the way, it's everywhere. I remember dad telling me years ago, if you are looking to work, you'll stay busy. There's always work to be done. Now, if you're looking for a paycheck, you may have a hard time. But if you want work, you'll get work. Now, let's apply that spiritually. Someone says, I, I don't have anything to do in the church. Listen, how many lost souls are there out in this community? Someone says, I don't know what to do for God. I, some young person said, I'm not sure what God wants me to do. You may not know God's call specific on your life, but... How many of you know that there are some things you already know what to do? You know to serve around the house. You know to uh, give out a gospel track. You Look, I believe this. There is work to be done if we're like the virtuous woman. Say, I'm going to use my hands not to seek my own pleasure, but to seek to profit someone else to the glory of God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven and so she is a person whose hands are guided by principle she's going to work because she knows there's work that is her responsibility she worketh willingly with her hands the principle of diligence is a governing factor in her life she's not going to boot her responsibilities down the road god has given her a husband god has given her children god has given her the responsibility of caring for them and no one has to tell her clothe them 
feed them, she does it willingly from her own heart. The guide is the Spirit of God in her life. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the end, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. If the ant works like she's supposed to, when she's supposed to, and has no guide, meaning no one cracking the whip, no one saying you're doing it wrong, no overseer and no ruler, the idea is the ant is working willingly. Willingly. And I preach this and I'm belaboring this point just a little bit because I think it's in our flesh to say work is our duty, do as little as you can, get by with, so that you can do what you really want with your life. And I believe the opposite ought to be true. Work is our life. Laboring with our hands, eh, whether it be physical or spiritual, that is our life. And the idea of respite and rest and downtime is to enable us to work. We don't work so we can play. That's the child's mentality, right? That's a childish mentality. We understand that. But when we become men, what do we do? We put away childish things. And our attitude toward work changes. So her hands were guided. She worketh willingly, guided by principle and guided by purpose. To work willingly means she is trying to accomplish something specific. She knows the kind of material she's after. Verse 13, she seeketh wool and flax. She said, this is what I'm going to need. Wool and flax are needed to make silk and purple. That she's going she's gonna to spin some, some material on her spindle. She's going to put her hands to the distaff, but she knows the kind of material she's going to need, so she goes out looking for wool and flax. I can just see her uh, combing through the material, saying, will that work? Will that work? She is purposely, intentionally, to accomplish a specific purpose. She's going out seeking the material she needs to get it done. And so then we find that she's not just willy-nilly living her life, finding whatever she can to do uh, in her spare time. I think one of the things that's killing us, killing us in America is the level of idleness we have. There are people this last year sat home and did nothing all year except collect a paycheck. They stayed home and got paid more for doing nothing than if they had worked. That can't last forever, by the way. Someone has to work to produce and... I believe this, this woman would have no power to that. She knew there was a job to be done. It was her job to do. She, she, she looks at a need. Her children need clothing. She says, and you didn't go to Goodwill at that time or Walmart or any other place. You want clothes for the kids. You've got to put it together. So she goes and she finds the materials, and then she worketh willingly with her hands because she wants to. Not working because she has to. That means she's guided by the principle of diligence and the understanding that labor is profitable. She is working and guided by purpose. She had something specific she was trying to accomplish. May I say this? To just work a job just because I just want to work a job? I think we ought to have purpose in mind. I want to use my job so I can do what God wants me to do with my life. My job is, is the tool that I have so I can have a good testimony. A good name costs you something. A job is a platform from which to be a witness and a testimony in the community. A job is the tool that I have to provide for my wife and my children. A job is what I have so that I can give, so that the gospel can go to other parts of the world. There's a purpose for working. And so then her hands are guided by principle and purpose. Number two, her hands were guarded hands. They were only guided hands, but guided hands inherently have to be guarded hands. By that I mean there were certain things... She wasn't going to do with her hands. This is quite simple. 
if you're using your hands to spin yarn or spin wool or spin whatever she's spinning there uh, and, and linen and so forth to clothe her family, you can't be using them to go out and try to get some other woman's husband now, can you? You can't do this two different things with your hands at the same time. And you say, what's your point? The point is, I believe part of the reason her hands, when they're guided to do what they're supposed to do, then they're guarded against doing what they're not supposed to do. When we do and use our hands for what is right, then we will not be using them for what is wrong. And if you and I do not intentionally and willingly set our hand to what is right, we will set our hand to what is wrong because of the fleshly nature and the pull on us. So I find guided hands became guarded hands. Let's look at a few verses. Number one, I believe her hands were guarded against indifference. She didn't get to the point where, well, I don't have any purpose. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure. No, look at verse 16. The Bible says, She considereth a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. So here it's the fruit of her hands. She's looking down the road. You'll find later what she does with this, but she's not sitting around just saying, I don't care. You're going to find by verse 20, she's giving of what she has. I believe she bought the vineyard to turn a profit so she could have more than just enough to meet her bare necessities in her home. She wanted enough to meet the needs and to be able to give if somebody else had a need. That doesn't happen on accident. You've got to think and use what we have wisely if we're going to be able to have enough not only to meet our obligations, but also to meet our opportunities. Two weeks ago, I preached on how we use our hands. We'll look at it in a minute, Ephesians 4.28. We're to work so that we owe no man anything. First uh, Corinthians 8 tells us we're to work so that we, uh, we, we have what we need. That's 2 Thessalonians 3. But Ephesians 4.28 says we're to work so that we can give. You're not getting a position where you have the ability to give by being lazy. So she sees a vineyard. She's got some fruit from her labors. Uh, we'll find out later she sold girdles. She would deliver them to merchants. She was not a merchant, as some try to teach. She delivered her girdles to the merchant, went back to her home. But the fact is she sold and turned a profit so that she's looking at this. She's got some fruit from her labors. Some, If you would, she's got some profit on hand. And instead of using her profit to say, hey... We can go have a night on the town tonight. She says, hey, there's a vineyard over there. If I bought that, there's a piece of ground. And if I planted a vineyard in there, I could sell the fruits of that. I could feed my family with it, but I could also sell the fruits of that. This woman is, by laboring, guarding herself against becoming lukewarm or indifferent. Indifference. And that indifference then leads to something else called idleness. Idleness. Look, if you would... Uh, in verse 27, her hands are guarded against indifference. She's constantly looking for what else can I put my hand to that will be profitable. And by guarding against indifference, she guards against idleness. Uh, I said it already, but it's a full idleness leads to a slew of sins. Verse 27, the Bible says, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. What is idleness? You think about this. You want to understand idleness? What is your car doing when it's idling? It's alive because it's turned on, but it's doing nothing. I don't think we need large seasons of our life. I understand there are seasons for rest. Rest and idleness are not the same thing. Rest is intentionally given to us by God to restore us so we can labor. This woman is not interested in sitting around all day and doing nothing. May I say this? Today we have a lot of we have a lot of things that we can, we can pretend that we're not being idle when we actually are. 
we're wasting time accomplishing nothing substantive but feeling like we're doing something. Let me give you an illustration. Um, in the lost world researches this and finds that it's detrimental. You take a young man, and boy, he loves watching something on a screen, whether it's a computer screen, a TV screen. I say young men because the young men seem to be just drawn to this more, so they, boy, they get into this war gaming, right? And they're playing their war gaming. For six hours, they sit in front of a TV, and they advance through this this step, and then they advance through this step, and they say, man, I'm really getting something done. I have beaten six six levels in the game. During that time, he didn't make his bed, he didn't brush his teeth, he didn't comb his hair, he didn't help his neighbor carry his trash out, he didn't give out a gospel tract, didn't read his Bible. He sat there and did absolutely nothing and felt like he conquered the world. Somebody gets on Facebook and grumbles for half a day about how bad all the churches are and how bad the preaching is and how bad the doctrine is. And while they did that, their neighbor's over there dying and going to hell and never heard the gospel. That's idleness. It's doing nothing. The virtuous woman said, I want no part of that. I want no part of wasting my life away on nothing. By the way, it's not, you, there's a host of other ways to be idle. <laughs> Those are two examples that are prevalent in our culture. There's, there's other ways to be idle and get nothing done. I think the most subtle form of idleness is when we're busy but doing nothing. Amen? Busy but actually doing nothing. No, she's guarded against idleness. She's not going to eat the fruit of sitting around and doing nothing. You know what the fruit of idleness is? It's trouble. Turn, if you would, very quickly, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15, where the Bible speaks to us about idleness. Idleness. In Proverbs 19, 15, Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. One of the reasons I say earlier it doesn't work, well, the system we have going on where we're telling people you don't have to work and you can still have plenty is it flies in direct conflict of the principles of God's Word. That can only work for a momentary time until we suffer hunger. A nation can't be idle like we were last year very long and it not cost us greatly. Right? I think one of the things that's wrong about the response we had is it threw a lot of people into idleness. What do we do? What do we do? I don't, God did not intend us to be idle, to sit around and do nothing. He designed us to labor. By the way, you know what will bring you joy? Putting your hands on a project, getting it done, and looking back and saying, man, look what we got done. This afternoon, the boys put together a swing for their mom and bought her a swing. They put it together. There is such a sense of accomplishment when you look at that, get the tools, put your hands to it, step back and say, hey, look at there, we got it done. I hate working on cars, but I love it when they're fixed. Once it's done, right, you say, man, hey, that's great. Here's a woman that says, I want nothing to do with idleness. Guided hands become guarded hands. Hands that are guided by the principles of labor and diligence are guarded against indifference and idleness and ultimately against iniquity. Look at verse 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that what? Feareth the Lord. She shall be praised, verse 31, giver of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. She's being commended here. And I bring up verse 30. The word iniquity is not used, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. It's the fear of God that keeps us out of sin. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way do I hate. So the idea that because she fears the Lord and is going to wholly give her hands to what she knows she should, then it's going to keep her from doing what she shouldn't. 
Let me me talk to most of you young people here tonight or my own kindred, but let me speak to you for a minute. The best way, let's use this as an illustration, to keep from becoming a cheater in school is do your school with a whole heart. If you say, you know what? At this season of my life, part of, a good part of my work is to do school. And I will give my entire heart whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. The young person that says, I'm going to apply myself to my education does not cheat. It's the young person that says, I hate school. How can I get out of it? That says, ooh, I know a way. I can cut corners. I can steal answers that I didn't work for, get the same result as if I did work for it, and that's called thievery, cheating. My point is this. You know, the, you know the greatest antidote against cheating is? Be a good student. Work at your work without having to be made to work at your work. Best way to keep from being lazy is work hard. <laughs> that's, well, that's deep, isn't it? Look, if you would, very quickly, Romans 12, 21. This bears this principle out. Romans 12, 21. It's hard to lust. Let me use this illustration. It's hard to lust after the things of the world with the lust of the eyes when I've got my eyes constantly on the harvest field. When I'm looking at the world as a field to be harvested for the Lord rather than something to be used for my own licentious lust, it changes my perspective, doesn't it? It's hard and, in fact, impossible to give your ears to cursing and swearing and foul language when your ear is always filled with the Word of God or praises to God and godly music. It's not good enough to say, I won't listen to bad music. Fill your ears with the right kind. It's not enough to say, I won't do wrong things with my hands. Make sure they're doing the right things. Laboring at what you know you ought to be doing, and then you won't be doing what you ought not to be doing. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Be not overcome of evil. But the verse doesn't stop there. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome of slothfulness. Overcome slothfulness with diligence. You say, don't be overcome, if you use the spiritual application, don't be overcome of bitterness. Overcome bitterness with forgiveness. Don't be overcome with covetousness. Overcome covetousness with contentment. God says, put off this and put on this. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him... Labor with his hands. Turn there if you would. Ephesians 4 very quickly. Verse 28. Ephesians 4, 28. Let him that stole steal no more. That's what we're to stop doing. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now let me just take a little pop quiz here tonight. Am I the only person that in my natural thought I want to see how much work I can get out of instead of how much I can get into? I said, my natural person. I doubt it. I think slothfulness is inherent in all of our flesh. Some of us got a bigger dose than others. But the fact is, by nature, we don't want to be workers. We want the fruit of labor without the labor. I said, by nature, our first one, by second nature, God says, no, you're not saved by your works, but boy, you you are saved to work. And what God says is, don't be overcome of evil. Overcome evil with good. If we're going to be like the virtuous woman, you know why her hands... We're not, we're not being used to tear down her house as the foolish woman's was. A foolish woman does what with her hands? She plucketh it down with her hands. She, with, to her house, she tears her own house apart by how she uses her hands. A foolish woman misuses her hands with her children. She misuses her hands with her husband. She misuses her hands in the community. And as a result, she splits up her marriage and she runs her children hither and yon because she's misusing her hands, because she's not using them the way she was supposed to. When we do with our hands what we're supposed to, they'll be guarded 
against indifference and idleness and ultimately against iniquity. The virtuous woman, her hands are guided hands. She worketh willingly. That's by principle and by purpose. They're guarded against indifference and idleness and iniquity. And finally, they're gracious hands. Gracious hands. Look at verse 20. Now, I think we kind of see her purpose in these verses down through here. She willingly works with her hands. The Bible says in verse 16, let's go back there. She considereth a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle. And her hands hold the distaff. Now she's going to take that flax and the wool that she found and she's going to start putting some things together and making clothing for her family. So she puts her hands to the spindle and the distaff. Those are those uh, material-making sewing tools of her day. She stretcheth out her hand, what? To the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. I think it's very interesting that it puts those two verses together. It says, verse 22, she maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. She's clothed. Her kids are clothed. And anyone in the community that for whatever reason is truly destitute are clothed as well that she can reach her hand out to. She does not clothe the community to the detriment of her children. Right? She does not clothe everybody else's kids, but not take care of her own. No, remember, she met her obligations and her opportunities. She works enough that she has enough to clothe herself, clothe her children, and be ready to give. She's got excess beyond what's needed so that when somebody has a need, they are short. They, they have a need, as we read about in 1 John a few weeks ago, a brother or sister to is destitute, and we have what's needed. She can say, well, here, I've got what you need. She can reach forth. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so her hands are gracious to fulfill her opportunities. We see she has opportunities. The Bible says the poor always we have with us. That's why we hear people talking about solving world poverty. They must have some other ideal behind that because we'll never solve it. God said so. We'll always have the poor with us. So until the Lord comes and sets up his kingdom... Then, and I'm not talking about people who pretend they're poor. I'm not talking about somebody who's got a you know 52-inch flat-screen TV on their wall, but then they want you know some kind of a handout. Go sell your TV, and then you can get what you need, right? How do you know there are truly people in need? You know what? You know I believe. Do you think the needy and the poor excludes her own family? Do you think there are times her children had need? That she had something because of her maturity and her labor that they did not. It's not an exclusion to her family, but it includes them. But she's ready to use, she's not laboring. Let me put it this way. There are people today who work themselves silly. But it's not to meet the needs uh, of the people that they're responsible for. It is to build a name for oneself. There are men who work 80 hours a week and they'll say, well, I've got to feed my family. Nonsense. They never see their family. It's not about loving their family. It's about making a name. It's about having toys and things. This woman's, her heart is pure. Her purpose for all this labor is that she may have to give, that she may be gracious, that she may be a tool in God's hand to minister to other people, that she might have to do that. We've touched on that, but guided, guarded hands are gracious hands. They are gracious and ready to give, uh, when the opportunity arises. Galatians 6.10. Dad quotes this verse all the time, and it's a 
uh, truth we need to ponder much. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. The Bible tells us, As ye have therefore opportunity, let's read it, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Turn, if you would, over to 1 Timothy very quickly. I believe this is where I want to go. I didn't write this down, but I believe this is where I need to be. 1 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 2, where Paul tells Timothy how to be prepared unto every good work. Not 1 Timothy 2. Bear with me for just a second. Maybe 2 Timothy. I didn't write this down, so forgive me. 2 Timothy chapter 2, okay? This, I think, goes right in line with what we're talking about. We find the virtuous woman is prepared to give when the opportunity arises that as to the fact that she was guided by principle and by purpose and her hands are guarded against the wrong thing, then she's ready to be gracious as she has opportunity. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, But in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Uh, So the idea would be you're going to come across some people who are not vessels unto honor and you're going to have to separate from them. You're going to have to guard your own life against some things if you're going to be prepared to do every good work. I'll say what I said at the beginning of the message. Doing good with our hands or with any part of our life does not happen on accident. Here's a woman that understands God's design for her life. Because she's a married woman, she understood her responsibility to God as it related to her husband and to her children. She understood she was the guide of the house. She understood she was the keeper of that home. She understood it was her responsibility to manage and run that home correctly. She understood she not only had a responsibility inside her home, she had a responsibility outside her home. There would be people that she would encounter that would have need, and she could use her gifts and her tools to minister to others. But she planned it that way. She worketh what? Willingly with her hands. May I say tonight, every one of us fits in some kind of role and responsibility. And we can throw that away and waste that. Or we can say, you know what? May I say, every person in this room tonight, every young person, every adult is gifted by God. If you're saved, we're gifted by God to serve. But our hands must be guided by the word of God, by the principles of his word, and by the purposes he gives us in his word. God, may I say this? God never called us to live a life of entertaining ourselves. Non-stop, how can I make me happy? That's what humanism teaches. The world exists to make me happy. And the Bible says that's not true. Our bodies should be presented to God as a living sacrifice because He has a purpose for it. Children in living in the home, can fulfill their purpose by honoring mom and dad, by using their hands to carry out their responsibilities in the home. Husbands, by carrying out their responsibilities in the home. Then we have responsibilities out there. We have responsibility. There are those. Look, how much Bible knowledge is in this room tonight? We're just a small crowd tonight. You know how much Bible knowledge is packed in this room? But if we don't intentionally set our hand to the work of transferring that, and this may be in a figurative sense, but transferring what we have to those who don't have it. Do you know how much Bible knowledge is not outside the walls of this building? But they won't get it if we don't intentionally and purposely get it to them. Right? So tonight, guided hands, guarded hands result in gracious hands. Hands that are ready to give to others that have need. Amen?
hope it's helpful to us tonight. We ought to look against this and say, is that me? Am I working willingly with my hands? Am I setting my hands to what I know is right and good? Yeah, we, we should, amen? Uh, if we're going to, we have to yield to the principles of God's word and make a decision. I think we, we probably underestimate the power of being decisive. And if you're saved, you can be decisive. The lost person can't be. They're in bondage to sin. But you and I need to decide, I know what God wants me to do. You think about what you have a knowledge of in regards to the will of God tonight. And don't, don't come at it half-hearted. Willingly, we should work with our hands, putting our hands to what God has given us to do. That's where our joy is found, by the way. Amen? In doing what God has given us to do in our hands.